Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, the show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. Alright everyone, we're back with another episode. I am very excited to have Mr. Dave Newport on the show. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So I love just to get the show started with a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing. Um, Tough one. Right, that could Always be the whole is. show, right? Because my big ego will keep talking all the whole thing. Love to uh, hear it. Short story is I'm the director of the Environmental Center here at the University of Colorado Boulder. Go Buffs. I got even in my buff. Let's go Buffs. Right? Let's go. And uh, so uh, we basically uh i've been in business now we're in our 51st year actually um so the environmental center here is the oldest largest most accomplished center of its kind in the united states among higher education um institutions and uh i'm proud to lead such an accomplished and amazing group of professional and student staff we have about uh, 18 19 well, since covid 14 uh, professional staff and about 150 students working for us. We do everything on campus from uh, sustainable transportation, the student bus pass, the recycling system, uh, events, climate action, climate justice, energy conservation, um, greening up the laboratories, which is 400 of them. Hmm. Uh, yeah, a bunch of work. Uh, and I've just scratched the surface of it. Yeah. Um, and so happy to be here. My background is um, in environmental science uh, technology. I started in this field in the 70s. I'm old, um, working for the EPA and the paper industry, doing environmental research for a research foundation, and um, ran environmental magazine for a while, taught environmental science in college, uh, teach climate um, Carbon auditing, or I'm sorry, carbon accounting here. Yeah, I can't even figure out what I teach. And uh, it's been a rough <laughs> year. Talk those those classes in a few years, and things are just getting too busy. So anyway, that's probably enough. Cool. Where'd your enthusiasm for sustainability begin? Where did it begin? Yeah, the I'm a systems thinker. So you know, um, uh, I'm a systems thinker with a, a lazy intellectual mind. So I settled on sustainability because sustainability is basically everything, everything and how it fits and, and all of the causes and effects of the actions and the decisions we make as residents of the planet uh, all have consequences. And sustainability sure. is that interconnective uh, mechanism and understanding how what we do here now, today, right now, running on green power, talking through green power mm -hmm. um, is different than if I were, you know, burning coal to power all of this and so forth. And then on down the list, uh, I think the interconnectivity of sustainability and climate action um, and increasingly climate justice, which we'll talk about, sure. is uh, uh, hard to communicate. I'm struggling with it now and I've been doing this for a long time mm -hmm. um, because it's such a big thing. I think people kind of, uh, you know, uh, hear about all this stuff and wonder how they can be effective in such a big, um, consequential and, and uh, huge system. And the fact is that we can all be effective in many, many different ways 
We just have to understand cause and effect. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. What role do you think universities specifically have to play in this overall uh, problem? Right. So universities are key and that's why I'm here. Uh, you know, I ran a business for 15 years. I've done a million things in my life. And um, but when they asked me to come to the University of Florida and start the sustainability program there in 1999, a couple of years after somebody I know was born, um, that, you know, the first thing that jumped to mind is multiplier effect. And that's one of the ways that you can be effective as a citizen on all of these things. Is look at what you're doing, not just for an effect of what I do and and one on one, what the cause and effect of that is. But what can you do to promote? Um, with a little push, a big result. And so mm -hmm. I call it multiplier effect. That's what university's got. I've got 25,000 multiplier effect students walking off here uh, every graduation, going out into the world with a different way of critically assessing the situation and acting responsibly against it. So a little push, big results. And every year I get 25,000 more students who in their course of time here at CU and back at Florida, much bigger population, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's sending people out into the world to make a difference like you're doing. Absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about CU's climate action plan and what CU is doing to pioneer these changes in particular? Between eating grapes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Politely on video. Sorry. No, um, no, it's all good, man. It's casual show. It's, it's, it's breakfast. Uh, <laughs> climate action plan. Uh, been on the books about 12 years. Uh, we pulled together a group back in 08 to uh, put this together. It took a couple of years. I had the pleasure slash life-changing experience of chairing that group of uh, august experts, stakeholders, ultimately NREL, uh, and putting together a document that um, projected a trajectory and the actions necessary to deliver a carbon neutral CU by 2050-ish. Okay. Um, and we are uh, coming up on our, well, we've just passed our first goal, 2020. Uh, uh -huh. Don't know what the uh, score is yet, though, because we haven't compiled all of 2020's carbon emissions, but our first goal- When will was, we find out? Uh, it's going to take, take a few months. usually does. Okay. There's a lot of data to crunch, but- uh, we were projected to be 20% lower by 2020 over a baseline of 2005. Okay. Um, I'm going to remain optimistic that we will have hit that last year. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we don't. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things would have to happen for us to actually make that happen last year. Um, but I don't want to take away from the effort that's gone into that, the focus on it from CU personnel and uh, uh, the strength of the plan, uh, which was ultimately uh, reviewed by NREL after we produced it. And they took it in the back room and beat the heck out of it, made it spill its secrets, sent us yeah. a cheat sheet of here, fix this, fix that. It was actually a short cheat sheet. Um, we fixed those things. The Board of Regents then reviewed it, approved it, and told the campuses to, or this campus to implement it. So we have a Regent uh, approved plan which now needs to be uh, reviewed and updated. Uh, the goals and the technologies and everything have just changed. It's a 12 years old plan. And likewise, yeah. um, I think next step is to be looking much more broadly at carbon, not just through 
you know, putting solar collectors on the roof to reduce carbon. But what are we going to do to help and improve people's lives while we were doing that? And those yeah. people being those most at risk, not the rich white people that can afford, you know, Teslas and solar panels. But Plenty of those around town. Everybody, and especially underrepresented. So that's that's key. It can't. We can't have just sustainability and climate action for rich white people. That ain't gonna work. Yeah. Not gonna work. No. Yeah, I'm curious what you think about. So we we have these these nationwide goals, and then Governor Paulus released this climate roadmap. But how do we create like benchmarks so we actually can confirm that we're going to hit these goals moving forward? Because it's nice to have a goal, but like, well, we you got don't goals. I mean, yeah, we've got interim goals. Like I said, this 2020 is the first one mm-hmm. uh, in our plan. Actually, we had some tentative goals in 2012, uh, which we had um, driven by Governor Ritter's. Um, executive order that he issued in 08 or 09. So we just dialed into that. Those weren't as sort of big picture as the uh, carbon reduction. But so benchmarks, yeah, benchmarks you can put in. What you can't put in and forecast and count on is people implementing the plan and yes. holding the plan accountable and holding the I'd like to. So how do we do that? Any thoughts, ideas? I do. Big push? And I think the uh, uh, to to a certain degree, it's shame on us, uh, and that by that I mean the planners. Um, you know, when I think back to the huge team that we had in '08, writing CU's plan, and I look around the room, uh, all great people, they all look like me, mm. and uh, and you. And what wasn't present were all the other fractions of society that need to be part of that conversation and part of the uh, accountability of how that plan is implemented because there was nothing in that plan for them directly. So in the years in between, uh, a gentleman named Van Jones, you may uh, be aware of, prominent gentleman on CNN who is very uh, sharp, a person of color, and um, watches these things and comments intelligently on them. Uh, He wrote a book or an article called Green for All. Mm -hmm. And basically, Green for All is, um, points out that the benefits of climate action need to accrue to those people most on the front lines of climate change, which are underrepresented, uh, at risk, um, you know, minority, all those words, populations are the ones who suffer the most from climate change. Mm-hmm. We're rich. We can we can adapt. I can buy a Tesla. No, I can't buy a Tesla. But anyway, mostly I can't fit the Tesla. Uh, <laughs> I see what you're getting at, though. I'm I'm six six. But anyway, um, oh, wow. <laughs> um, you get the point. And so benefits for all means, okay, so um, yeah, how come there's no solar panels on the uh, you know, roofs of houses in the low-income neighborhood? It's expensive. It's expensive. So is, it, is this you know, mitigation gonna be completely uh, the privilege of the privileged? Or are those who pay disproportionately high percentage of their um, income on things like utilities, including mm. electricity, uh, allowed to and given the opportunity to avail of the advantages of, 
of renewable energy, which first and foremost is clean. And secondly, it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, but what we do and what we planned in the CU plan, which was seemingly appropriate at the time, but in my view, those needs have changed, was sort of the typical institutional approach to climate action, which is, hey, let's put up some big solar systems around here and get some big wind and all that and get the campus green. Yeah. Which is a good thing to do, but it doesn't benefit anybody in town. No. Right? Not directly. And so a, a contrasting approach to that is, okay, why don't we fund, um, you know, big or uh, small, I'm sorry, renewable installs on low-income homes in Boulder, let those residents enjoy having the green power, let them enjoy having cheaper electricity rates. But what the campus gets out of it is we want to claim and take credit for and be allowed to put against our carbon plan, the carbon savings that came with those installs. So you get something, we get something. And that way, the benefits go to the community and to people who really need some benefits like that. And, you know, the direct benefits of green power, but we get the carbon savings, which we need to hit our goals. Yeah. And so that is, fair, believe it or not, something that simple is fairly innovative thought because the regulatory landscape and the financial landscape does not stack well against that idea. Mm. And so we're going to have to fix that. Yeah, well, it's very interesting. One of the main reasons I, I was drawn to this climate issue cause, is because uh, I thought it was a way for me to target some sort of specific problem and be able to help as many people as possible. So when you bring up these minority communities, it's very interesting how the more I learn about this issue, the more and more I see it's so interconnected to every kind of facet of our society. I'm curious, since you've been involved with this struggle for, for almost de- for decades now, how you've seen this issue of focusing on how to f- combat climate change evolve over the years since the conversation began? Say that again. I missed something because I just got a damn text. I'm sorry. Dude, it's all good. It's all good, man. Just curious how you've seen the focus on how to tackle these issues or the effectiveness of of tackling this issue evolve over the years since I think it was in the 60s or something. They said there was going to be an ice age. And in the 70s, they started saying that the the planet was going to warm. I'm just curious how you've seen the conversation evolve over the years since you've been involved in this discussion for so long. Yeah. Well, it's funny you should point that out. You know, I started college in the early 70s and, uh, and yes, my environmental science professor said, we don't know if it's going to be ice age or, or, or warm the planet. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that was, there was an open question about that at that time. Yeah. That's what I learned in mm-hmm. 1974. And uh, well, I'm really dating myself. Uh, <laughs> at any rate, um, how has it evolved? Yeah. Uh, certainly there's more respect for it in terms of being a, you know, big, big deal. Um, Certainly there has been a maturation of um, intent and perspective from the business community on this. I think that's key. Business community for a long time didn't, was uh, not interested. Now it's, you know, you do this or you're, you're not going to look good basically. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first line of defense or first line of attack. And then the second, and, and I think more profound one is, many brands are worried about their supply chain. They want to make sure okay. their supply chain is sustainable, both in a business sense and in an environmental sense. 
because you got to have product before you can sell it. And the products need to be saleable. Uh, third thing is consumer preferences have definitely soared. Um, you know, right down the road is um, you know, ball container. You might have heard of them. Yep. Um, Study them at school. It's, it's right. And now it's ball arena, not Pepsi center. And so here is a giant, um, the biggest, you know, basically I tell people, they basically have made every Coke can you ever touched, every beer can you've ever touched. And um, so a giant brand that makes a lot of aluminum who has always steadfastly been a supporter of recycling and aluminum because of its recyclability and, and sort of, as they say, infinitely re recyclable, hates plastic, hates that, believe me, they had hated plastic before. It was cool to hate plastic. Mm -hmm. And so here's, you know, here's a brand now that is like Amazon and, you know, the Climate Pledge Arena. I mean, there's just some big, huge, I mean, how big is Amazon? Fortune five? Yeah, company in the world, I don't know. Yeah, and... Uh, Elon Musk surpassed Jeff Bezos as the richest man in the world, though. Shut up! I don't even want to start on that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, I think, you know, people's perspectives have certainly sharpened and become more intense around this, and then mm -hmm. there's a much broader, um, you know, group of people who want to move on. Mm -hmm. And so that's refreshing. Uh, so a lot of reasons to be optimistic, and Always. at the same time, the problem hadn't gotten any better. It's gotten worse. Absolutely. And so, you know, got more people working on it because the problem is getting better. It's getting more well-known. And so we need to, you know, that the problem needs to start getting a little better. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but it may take a while. Well, how can we get substantial action on these issues? I'm starting to think that the way to do it is actually just to make sure people are aware of what's going on. Cause it does, it seems like most people are caught up in their, in their lives, but I'm, I'm curious what your personal thoughts are on how to get substantial action to get us into a position where it's not at least getting a little bit better or at least not getting worse. Well, uh, you know, I think we have to work together. I mean, I know it's cliche, it's not but it's been, you know, the, one of the things that limits uh, sustainabilistas, that's my phrase for guys like me, mm -hmm. uh, which there's many sustainabilistas. One of the things that limits us is the perception correctly that this is a, a problem um, totally number one in the minds of rich white people. That's it. And environmentalists, that's it. The environmentalists are worried about, you know, Bambi and polar bears, which is fine mm -hmm. um and you know back to van jones he has a great one of those little four quadrant diagrams of of you know how people look at things right and you know we look at things as polar bears and bambies we being rich white people and um you know underrepresented people look at at the problem in terms of um uh their ability to sort of um, respond to their own destiny and, and control their own. Uh, they don't. They don't. They don't see. Uh, and I said that poorly. They, they they don't see as we do. Um, you know, polar bears and 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 Bambi. Uh, they see in the hood, diesel trucks driving by, uh, filling the airs with particulate that their kids grow up in and suffer learning disabilities from because they're breathing disproportionately higher, way higher um, uh, polluted air than yeah. we do living in nice neighborhoods west of Broadway. Yeah. And, um, 
It's quite a nice area. Uh, they're right. Their environment is around them, and it is not good. Our environment, you know, the more privileged white people, our environment is we're allowed to think about the polar bears, right? That's okay because our environment, like right here, hierarchy. not so bad, right? We're doing okay. And if it goes bad, you know, we can move. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we just have we've got to bring together those that have much more immediate needs and don't look like us so that we form a coalition that is unbeatable and we can really you know bring everybody to bear on this thing uh as opposed to just the folks who have the privilege of being able to do that yeah that's a very interesting way to look at it i haven't put much thought into that and that gets into the very political realm which i i try to avoid I'm, do, you, do you think it's possible for us to get to a point where we actually live in a carbon neutral USA? Because it seems unlikely with, with stuff like airplanes, which are always going to need some kind of fuel. Do you think we can get to the point? Not even if it's possible. I think anything's possible. But in the, in the time scale that we need, how could we get this going? Well, and we had that conversation about 50 million times back in the day. So I got um, comfortable being uncomfortable trying to project the carbon neutrality date just for the University of Colorado. Wow. And so, yeah, I mean, if any of us were any good at this stuff, we'd be in Vegas making a fortune. You can predict <laughs> the future, <laughs> right? So you just have to, you know, do what you can do and not pre- premise it on, I think, some outcome. The uh, uh, One of the things back in the day when so about 15 years ago, there was a campaign to bring all the universities into a, you know, a coalition to get to carbon neutrality. Great. Mm-hmm. And a thousand universities, somewhat thousand universities signed up nationwide, including CU. And, and then others, fairly prominent universities said, no, we don't do that because we just don't believe we can get there. We don't feel like it's techno- technically, technologically possible. And we don't want to make a commitment we can't fulfill knowingly, we have no idea how to get there. And, you know, we didn't know how to get to to the moon either. And Mm -hmm. we got there in 10 years. Um, So I'm hoping to do for this. Right. So, you know, if, if, if the goal is worth achieving, you go for it. Yes. Because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you're going to learn. You don't know what new technology is going to evolve. You don't know what, um, you know, today's low-hanging fruit, uh, tomorrow, what tomorrow's low-hanging fruit is going to be. Ten years ago, when we, 12 years ago, when we wrote this plan, LED light bulbs were off, off the table. They're expensive. Huh. Yeah. Now they're like, you know, yeah, forget it. So, I mean, there's just lots of examples of how technology evolves, how creativity evolves, how coalitions evolve. I don't think you can premise your work on, on that because we know that we have to do it, period. Agreed. Very cool. So we talked a, a, a lot about people and communities and universities and educational institutions. I'm curious what role you think large corporations have in this play. because it sounds like you're in the camp that it would be in their best interest to transition to these kind of sustainable ways of doing business uh, for the long run, of course, right? Sure. And I think they are. Um, so count me as, you know, a friend of big business. If it, if by being a friend of big business, I recognize and respect the many people I know that work in big business that, like me, are doing all they can on this issue. 
for that corporation. And that corporation is making changes. It's hard to change big multinationals, mm-hmm. but you know, they're, they're working hard on it. And there's fabulous programming, fabulous mechanisms in place. You know, the Dow Jones sustainability index was, was uh, uh, started, I think about the year 2000, maybe 99. Um, and so the Dow Jones sustainability rewards this. Dow Jones Sustainability Index is the top 10% of brands in each market vertical, manufacturing, retail, whatever, uh, that are continuously being assessed for their performance on sustainability issues. They then aggregate that top 10% of each of those categories into a group. And yeah, you're reading your Google on it now and trade that as a bundle. And guess what? It performs better in good times than brands that aren't so so progressive and it doesn't do as badly in bad times as brands that aren't as progressive it's outperformed standard Poor's 500 consistently for 20 years and so that's amazing yeah business looking at that well wait a minute this means we have more access to capital yeah because investors are now looking at it there's all kinds of mechanisms that help investors understand the sustainability in a business sense of their investment in a sustainable, in the environmental sense, corporation. And that is working. Yeah. I I actually, I wasn't aware of that at all. I I definitely, man, I've got, I've got so much to learn. So we've talked about a lot of, a lot of more, more serious topics today. I'm just curious as we're both buffs, uh, I take it. We both spent a lot of time going to the football games. Uh, And I know you've been done a bit of work on sustainability in sports. I'd just love to get a little bit of information about that, what you guys are doing at CU for that. Sure. Well, CU is the most sustainable af- college athletics program in the United States. Scope buffs. Bar none. Uh, first, to, first to market on that one, we started uh, moving on 14 years ago uh, when Mike Bowen was the AD here, uh, implementing sustainability in sports. They're now the most sustainable department on campus. And I Really? Would, yes. And I, would, and I have. More, and built- more than the environmental studies department? way more, <laughs> way more. And not because environmental studies do anything wrong, environmental uh-huh. studies uh, doesn't have the uh, impact that athletics does. Absolutely. Environmental uh, studies, uh, so just, I don't want to take anything away from environmental studies. They're great people. I love them all. Um, but, you know, athletics, first of all, is the front porch of the university. They have modeled this nationally and globally. Uh, CU Athletics was the first to sign the UN Charter. First one in the United States to sign the UN Charter, Sports for Climate Action. I'm a member of that committee and on two or three task forces, yada, yada, uh, to, you know, follow the UN Charter. They were the first one to do zero waste, period, in Division I NCAA sports nationally. Uh, go by the, the stadium and like, look next door on the uh, indoor practice facility and notice the solar on top and a whole bunch of other stuff that you can't see. And it's too high up. At- I couldn't see it. Right, and uh, and you're looking at a uh, energy neutral building. Period. Cool. That building uh, is designed to make more uh, energy than it uses. First one in the United States, and uh, uh, you know local foods, just all sorts of things. You know the uh, and the reward for that, going back to and hooking it back to business, is as a result of that. CU Athletics has brought in numerous sponsors 
who want to celebrate that because it aligns with that sponsor's um, uh, goals. Last one of you know, the last live football season, not last fall, obviously, but the one before the Stanford mm-hmm. game, you may remember. Yep. Um, Stanford came into town, so did Unilever. You might have heard of them. Fortune 200, mm-hmm. big display, and one of the most sustainable corporations on the planet. And a gentleman named Phil Lindsay came out and, without any talking points or anything, gave people a lecture on sustainability and what Unilever was doing and what the CU bus were doing and how much he loved going here because we were a sustainable Phil Lindsay. Yeah. I love that guy, by the way. Amazing. <laughs> That's really cool. He is an amazing young man. God, that's inspiring. I want to get more involved with, I, when I went to see you, I I was spending a lot of time just hanging out with my friends and smoking weed. I'd much like, I got to get more involved with the community. I really missed out on that. I'm glad I'm still here. Well, well, Dave, I appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. I really, I thank you so much for all the work you've been doing for so long. It sounds like you're going to continue doing all sorts of different, different things. And you've definitely given me a a different way to look at at this challenge now. So I I look forward to going back and listening to this again. I'm curious what your uh, final piece of advice for young people who are listening, who want to get more involved with these issues and i think like you said it's a net positive to create not only a better sense of community but a better sense of um, building a better future for all of us i guess some of the best advice that i ever got was uh from a gentleman named uh davy crockett not making that up former mayor of the city of chattanooga mm-hmm. uh and one smart dude big executive with ibm and so forth back in the day 20 or so years ago when Chattanooga was trying to redeem itself from being the most polluted polluted city in America to what they are now, a really beautiful place. And Dave Crockett led that along with the University of Tennessee. And so we went there and visited with Davey and he told us all about stuff. And the most valuable thing is the shoe test. So anytime you are working to improve anything in your community related to any of this stuff, and you wanna have a meeting and talk about it, employ the shoe test. And the shoe test is after you have a meeting gets together and everybody sits down at a table, look at under the table at everybody's shoes. And if they're all nice shoes, stop the meeting. You don't have the right people there. Get some crappy shoes, some no shoes, some flip flops. You judge the composition of the people you're talking to basically that way. So it's euphemistic, it's fun, but you get the point. No, it, it makes me laugh because I'm obviously the right guy because my shoes are duct taped, <laughs> so they're falling apart. So it's funny that you say that. Dave, uh, it was a pleasure to meet you today, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Thank and I, I look forward to chatting again in the future. Let me know um, what else I can do to help you and how I, I can phone, send people to your site to look at this, and then they'll send me uh, snickering emails. So uh, I get plenty of snickering emails every week. All right. Much appreciated, Dave. Have a great day. Take it easy. Thanks so much for listening to Changing the Climate, a podcast hosted by Climate Change Realty, the most innovative real estate corporation ever conceptualized. Visit ccrboulder.com today.